ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds while Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger <coughs> I'd like to continue this evening bi'idhnillah ta'ala in this lecture number 7 from the sharh al jadid the sharh of kitab at tawhid alladhi huwa haqqullah ala al abid by sheikh al imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab ibn sulaiman at tamimi al najdi rahimahullah may allah have mercy on him in this chapter bab tafsir التوحيد والشهادة أن لا إله إلا الله الإمام محمد بن عبد الوهاب رحمه الله discusses the tafsir or the explanation meaning or clarification of التوحيد and likewise the tafsir of the testimony the shahada la ilaha illallah that nothing has the right or deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone this chapter tafsir at-tawhid the explanation of tawhid and the shahada and la ilaha illallah it comes after a number of other chapters including wujub at-tawhid or the obligation of tawhid the fadl or the merit or excellence of virtues of at-tawhid and the importance of ad-da'wah the calling to at-tawhid and here after those preceding chapters the imam rahimahullah begins to explain in detail exactly what is tawhid and what is at-tawhid and from this chapter on the remaining chapters are detailed explanation of the meaning of a tawhid the detailed explanation of the meaning of a tawhid and the opposite of a tawhid a shirk major shirk minor shirk inconspicuous shirk shirk al khafi as well as those things which may cause a defect in one's tawhid the perfection of the tawhid or the absolute nullification of it in this chapter 
we should begin by discussing first Tawheed in brief and we have already mentioned some discussion of the meaning of Tawheed and we said that Tawheed is the acknowledgement or the admission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alone and unique in his perfect qualities and beautiful names and his right to be worshipped and we said that many of the scholars divided the Tawheed into three divisions Tawheed or Rububiyyah that Allah is the only Lord, Creator the one who maintains the universe Tawheed and Asma wa Sifat that Allah is the only one who deserves the best names and perfect qualities or characteristics or descriptions and there is no one similar or equal to him in that and Tawheed al-Ubudiyyah wa Uluhiyyah or Tawheed al-Ibadah that Allah alone deserves to be worshipped and he has no partners in that right to be worshipped. As for al-Shahada, al-Shahada is of two types, al-Shahada al-Ru'ya, yani that someone witnesses, sees something, observes it, and they testify to what they have seen. And there is also al-Shahada al-Ilmiya, that a person testifies to that which is based upon their knowledge. Yani the testimony of one who has witnessed something, they have seen it and the testimony of one based on their knowledge of something and here the shahada that we are talking about here, shahada in la ilaha illallah it is the shahada based on ilm that a person has knowledge of something it is the belief and certainty and conviction based upon knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unique and alone in those things that are his exclusive rights including perhaps most importantly the right of worship some of the scholars discussed a shahada saying that if someone says ashhadu that I bear witness it is possible that they are about to mention something which they have seen or something which they know and ashhadu an la ilaha illallah it is the shahada based upon knowledge for this reason in the saying ashhadu a person is required to have knowledge of what they are about to testify to and the word ashhada linguistically as well as in the sharia and according to most of the scholars of tafsir of the people of Sunnah in their explanation of verses of Quran containing this expression such as the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Shahid Allahu annahu la ilaha illa huwa wal malaika wa ulil ilm qaiman bilqist la ilaha illa huwa al-aziz al-hakim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives testimony the shahada that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except him and likewise the angels testify to this fact and the people of knowledge this shahada it is a shahada of knowledge based upon knowledge and certainty uh, this shahada it contains three main points the first of them is al-i'tiqad that the person who is testifying to such a shahada they should have the true firm unwavering conviction in their heart about that which they are about to pronounce on their tongue 
yani that which they are about to testify to the shahada of la ilaha illallah the conviction containing this meaning should be in the person's heart knowing the meaning of this word and having certainty about it because conviction or aqeedah or i'tiqad it is not so unless it is based upon knowledge there is no real aqeedah except that it should be based upon knowledge and certainty and likewise the second aspect of the shahada is that a person pronounces it on their tongue that they speak out and profess the shahada such as the shahada of la ilaha illallah the person who holds this conviction in their heart should pronounce it on their tongue and in that case the conviction that is in their heart is now expressed openly being pronounced in front of the people and the third aspect of a shahada it is informing others of that belief that conviction that is in one's heart to call others to it to pronounce it on one's tongue and in this case if a person holds such a conviction and pronounces it on their tongue and then informs others about it they have completed the requirements of a true testimony of shahada this is similar to what the scholars of sunnah said concerning iman that iman consists of three aspects that is the conviction which is in the heart speech on the tongue and the practice of one's limbs or body parts so that likewise a shahada similar to al iman it should be based upon the conviction in one's heart that is pronounced on the tongue and then others are informed of it so here this chapter is the tafsir or the explanation or clarification of at-tawheed and the tafsir or explanation of the shahada of la ilaha illallah the author rahimahullah mentions in this chapter 5 proofs four verses from the Quran and one hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the first of those evidences is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah al-isra chapter 17 verse 57 ulaika alladhina yad'una yabtaguna ila rabbihim al-wasila ayyuhum aqrab that these are those who yad'una call out and supplicate and most of the scholars of tafsir or all of the books which i have had access to of the earlier scholars of tafsir and the contemporary scholars of of tafsir explain the meaning of these words of these words ulaika alladhina yad'una that its meaning is those who call on them yad'unahum and that whom here is deleted but it is understood here allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the mushrikeen those who were supplicating or yad'una also may mean ya'buduna worshiping because a dua it is ibadah and many places in the quran dua is used to represent the ibadah or the worship of the mushrikeen those who call on them yabtaguna ila rabbihim alwasila while they those who are being called upon are seeking alwasila a means or a way to their lord ayyuhum aqrabu 
which of them will be nearer if this may be understood properly we could say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying that there are those from amongst the mushrikeen who are calling on others besides Allah while those who they are calling on asking for their help they themselves are calling on Allah seeking help from Allah in need of Allah and Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, concerning this verse says that the reason for its revelation is that which has been reported by Imam Muslim on the authority of Abdul Ibn Mas'ud that this verse was revealed in, in reference to a group from amongst the Arab people who were worshipping a group of jinn and then those jinn who had been worshipped by these Arab people they submitted to Allah and entered Islam and those who were worshipping them, who were calling on them and worshipping them were unaware that those who they were worshipping had become Muslims had entered into Islam and that they themselves were seeking nearness to Allah yani those who were being called upon, the jinn they themselves had entered Islam and they were being and they were calling on Allah and as the remainder of the verse makes clear though in the original text of the book Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab doesn't complete the ayat he said that يَبَتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمَ الْوَسِيلَةِ أَيُّهُمْ أَقْرَبُ That they are seeking the wasila or the means of nearness to their Lord by acts of obedience and acts of worship وَيَرْجُونَ رَحْمَتَهِ And they are in hope of His rahmah, His mercy وَيَخَافُونَ عَذَابَهِ And they are fearing His punishment إِنَّ عَذَابَ رَبِّكَ كَانَ مَحْذُورًا And verily the punishment of your Lord it is that which should be feared so that those who are being called upon although some of the scholars also interpreted the meaning of those who are being called upon to refer not only to those from amongst the jinn who are worshipped by these Arab people but it may also refer to anbiya, prophets or malaika, angels or salihun, righteous men that people are calling upon thinking that they can help them that they have some ability to answer their call to fulfill their needs or to help them in some way while those who are being called upon they are seeking to get near to Allah by obeying Allah and worshipping Allah hoping for His mercy and fearing His punishment as those who are calling on them should be hoping for the mercy of Allah and fearing the punishment of Allah like those who they are calling upon and this as some of the scholars said is the condition that a believer should be in all ta- at all times the believer should always be between Al-Raja, hope of Allah's mercy and Al-Khawf, fear of His punishment. It is the hope of Allah's mercy that encourages the believer to increase their good deeds. The hope of Allah's mercy, because Allah's mercy and forgiveness, it is achieved by obeying Him and doing good deeds. Not just by hoping for forgiveness or hoping for mercy, but it is by good deeds. So it is the thing that encourages the Muslim to do more good deeds it is the hope of Allah's mercy and his reward and the fear of his punishment is that which causes the Muslim or the believer to refrain from that which earns the displeasure of Allah the yani acts of disobedience for verily the punishment of Allah it is severe it is that which should be feared and should be one should protect themselves from it uh, in the In the Sharh of the book Kitab al-Tawheed al-Jadid by Imam Muhammad al-Qara'awi 
Hafizullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. He says that the general explanation of this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you may follow with us, uh, if you have the book with you, on page 41 through 47, this chapter is contained in the Sharh or explanation. He says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us in this noble verse of Quran that those who were worshipping them, yani the mushrikun who were worshipping others along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether those who they were worshipping or calling upon were from amongst the angels or the righteous, those who were being called upon, those who were being worshipped besides Allah, they themselves were seeking to get near to Allah by acts of obedience and worship and by fulfilling the commands of Allah, hoping for His mercy and avoiding the prohibitions of Allah, fearing His punishment. For verily the punishment of Allah is that which should be feared and a person should protect himself from it. Yani every Muslim should protect himself from it. <coughs> also it is worth noting here that in the Shahada of La ilaha illallah, though it's not mentioned in the Sharh, that it consists of two parts. The first of it is the negation, La ilaha, that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped, La ma'abud bihaqqin. And the second, Illallah, the exception to the first statement that nothing should be worshipped, the exception to it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is accepted from that statement. He is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. And this statement, La ilaha illallah, begins with La annafiya lil jins which means that whatever came after this la, la ilaha, whatever came after this la, in this case it is ilah. It means that this is an absolute negation of anything. Yani la ilaha means there is absolutely nothing which deserves to be worshipped. Except that the second part of the statement makes an exception. The exception to this absolute negation is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is important to understand because the Tawheed in Islam doesn't allow for any exception to it. Yani the Tawheed, the exclusive right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't allow that anyone can share with him in his right to be worshipped. Therefore this absolute negation of worship to everything that exists, the only exception to it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here the author mentions some points of benefit al-fawaid. He said that from this verse we understand the falsehood of the worship that was performed by the pagan mushrikeen that they were giving to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the proof of the falsehood of their worship of others than Allah is the fact that those who they were worshipping themselves, those who were being worshipped were themselves seeking near, nearness to Allah hoping for His mercy and fearing His punishment. The fact that those whom they are worshipping and that they are calling upon are themselves seeking to get near to Allah and hoping for Allah's favor and fearing Allah's punishment and hoping for Allah's mercy is a proof that those who are hoping for Allah's favor and fearing His punishment have no right to be worshipped. They don't deserve to be worshipped. But the only one that deserves to be worshipped is the one who others turn to in hope and in fear. And the second point he says that the righteousness or piety of the one that is worshipped it does not justify the fact that they should be joined as a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani no matter how righteous the person may have been he is a holy man, saint or whatever even if he is an angel or a prophet 
still it doesn't justify that they may be made as an equal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in anything that is his exclusive right. The third point is the confirmation or isbat of the characteristic of Ar-Rahmah that mercy is one of the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is comes under the title of Tawheed al-Asma wa Sifat that we affirm whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has affirmed for himself in the Quran and whatever the Prophet ﷺ has affirmed for him in the authentic Sunnah. So one of the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahmah as confirmed in this verse that the people are hoping for his Rahmah. It means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described by as being merciful. And the fourth point is the believer should always in his journey towards Allah be between the two points of Al-Khawf, fear and Ar-Raja, hope except at the time when death approaches in that case the hope of Allah's mercy should take precedence in our lifetime we should always keep equal the hope of Allah's mercy and the fear of his punishment this is what keeps the Muslim balanced and in check except at the time of death the person should think well of Allah and know that Allah's mercy overcomes his wrath in that case it is proper that the aspect of hoping for Allah's mercy may be stronger than the aspect of fearing his punishment. Then he says that the relationship between this verse and the chapter heading is that this verse indicates that the meaning of a tawheed and the meaning of the testimony of La ilaha illallah it is abandoning and leaving that which the pagan mushriks were upon and avoiding what they were upon of calling on others besides Allah or worshipping anything besides Allah since indeed it is falsehood such as the supplication of the prophets or the righteous and seeking uh, intercession through them to, to get near to Allah all of this is rejected and it is part of Tawheed to reject, to reject these things and likewise that this verse makes us to know that it is not sufficient merely to pronounce the, the testimony of shahada it, it, in fact it, is, it has no benefit whatsoever as long as that person has not fulfilled the other obligation of declaring the kufr or the rejection of everything that is worshipped besides Allah yani in order for a person's testimony of shahada to be of any use to them it's not sufficient just to say that Allah is the only one who deserves to be worshipped but they also must, must reject uh, the worship of anything besides Allah. The next evidence that he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to Al-Khalil Ibrahim alayhi salam وَإِذْ قَالَ Ibrahim لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ When the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam said to his father, the nearest of those to him, and his people, his relatives, his tribe, his people in general, he said to them the statement that declared his being free of any relationship to that which they are worshipping or to the worship of other than Allah in general and that the worship it only belongs to Allah alone he said to them innani verily I am bara'un mimma ta'abuduna illa alladhi fatarani that verily I am free of any relationship or any responsibility or connection to whatever you are worshipping including whatever it may be whether it is the worship of angels or the worship of stones or trees or anything that they may have been worshipping he said that I am free of all of it 
except the one who has created me, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for verily he is the one who will guide me, who will give me hidayah, who will grant me the success of being guided aright. And this hidayah here is hidayah at tawfiq. It is the hidayah that only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ability to guarantee a person success in following the way and reaching the destination. In this statement of Imam of, of, uh, of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, there is negation first, innani bara'un mimma ta'buduna. Innani bara'un. Al-bara'a, it means that the person rejects and declares that they have nothing to do with someone or something. And here he, he is saying that he has nothing to do with that which they are worshipping besides Allah. So the first part of his statement is negation. And this is, this is equal to the statement of Shahada, La ilaha. The negation, that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped. And the second part of his, state, his statement, Illa alladhi fatharani, except the one who has created me, is affirmation, al-ithbat. And it is similar to the second part of the Shahada of La ilaha illallah. Yani illallah, here it is expressed in the words, Illa alladhi khalaqani, the creator. The creator since he is the only one who creates, he is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. And here it is an indication by Ibrahim salam that as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alone in being described as the creator, then he likewise should be alone in being entitled to worship. Also al-bara'a, it should include the person who really has, يعني, who disassociates themselves from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires of us to reject this bara'a it should include al-bughd hatred of that thing al-adawa enmity enmity towards that thing and al-kufr disbelief and rejection of it yani al-bara'a in order to be complete the believer should hate that thing and has have enmity enmity towards it and disbelief and rejection of it so the believer is required to hate the worship of other than Allah, whatever it may be that is worshipped. Except if it is the righteous, such as the prophets, that are worshipped against their will and they are not pleased with being worshipped. Then we don't hate that one who is worshipped, who is not pleased with being worshipped, but we hate the fact that they are worshipped. The worship of them is hated. And it is rejected. So Al-Bara'a includes hatred, enmity and rejection of that which is worship first and foremost and secondly the rejection of those who perform that worship of other than Allah yani the people of shirk we hate the shirk and also we reject the people of shirk here the shaykh says al-qara'awi Allah says that in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that the messenger of Allah or that his messenger and his khalil Ibrahim alayhi salam had informed his father as well as his people that he was free he was bari he was free from all of those things which they worshipped or the worship of those things except the worship of the one that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created him the one who has the ability to give him the tawfiq or the success in being guided and the one in whose hand is all benefit or harm the only one who can give us any benefit and the only one who can cause any harm. And this verse uh, is a very important verse. It requires further comments, but for lack of time, it will suffice with this comments of the author, Al Qarawi. 
Then he mentions the points or the fawa'id that may be derived from this verse. The first of them is that the origin or the foundation of the deen of all the prophets, it is one and the same, it is a tawheed. Number two, and this is proven clearly by the statement of Ibrahim and likewise the statements of other prophets show that the foundation of their way, for every one of them, it is a tawheed. Number two, that openly expressing the truth as Ibrahim did, speaking to his father and his people, openly expressing the truth is from the characteristics of the messengers, the messengers of Allah al Mursaleen. Number three, the obligation of rejecting that which is false or wrong. Yani inkar al munkar. And the Prophet said, whoever sees munkar, then they should stop it with their hands. And if they're not able, then they should speak out against it. And if they're not able, then hate it in their heart, and that's the weakest of faith. So this is an obligation on a Muslim to forbid that which is wrong, to enjoin the good and forbid the wrong, and to reject and speak out against that which is wrong, even if it is being done by the nearest of relatives. The fourth point is also related to al-wala wal-bara, allegiance to the righteous and disassociation from the evil and wicked and disbelievers, the obligation of al-bara'a, meaning shirk, the obligation of disassociating oneself and rejecting shirk. And included in that also is the people of shirk, those who practice it. Number five, the clarification that the people of Ibrahim salam, that they were worshipping Allah. They were in fact worshipping Allah. However, they were also worshipping or associating others along with him. And it's not that they were not worshipping Allah. They were worshipping Allah. And this can be compared to many of the people today. who are worshipping Allah. Who are worshipping Allah. And they are also worshipping others along with Allah. The fact that they are worshipping Allah is not sufficient. We cannot clear them saying they are Muslims and they are saying La ilaha illallah and they are making salat. They are worshipping Allah but they are also worshipping other than Allah. And this major shirk takes a person out of Islam and nullifies whatever worship they may be doing as it nullifies the worship of the people of Ibrahim. Though they were worshipping Allah but they were also worshipping along with him others besides him. Uh, and here, Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, in his sharh of Kitab al-Tawheed, said that this is similar to that which is found in many of the Islamic countries today, that people are praying and giving zakat and fasting and making hajj, and along with that they are going to the graves, to the cemeteries, and they are prostrating to those who are dead in the grave or bowing to them, or other forms of worship. فَهُمْ This is the words of the Shaykh. He said that those who are doing that in the lands of the Muslims, who are praying and fasting and giving charity and making hajj, but along with that which they are worshipping or offering to Allah's worship, they are also going to the graves and offering worship to those dead saints or whatever who are buried in the grave. And he said, فَهُمْ That those who are doing such, they are kafirs. They are not of the people of Tawheed. And Allah doesn't accept any deed from them. Allah doesn't accept any of their deeds. This is his words. And he said that this is one of the most dangerous things that is found in the Muslim communities today. Because the kufr or rejection of anything other than Allah or everything other than Allah is a light matter today in the Muslim lands. People take lightly the worship of other than Allah. Supplicating to those who are dead, making sacrifice to saints or whatever. All of this is taken lightly in the Muslim lands today. And this is due to the ignorance of the people and more importantly due to the shortcoming or falling short in the duty 
of the scholars because the ignorant, the common people, they only take their way from their scholars. Therefore, the fact that this is prevalent in the Muslim land, it is primarily due to the shortcoming of the ulama, the scholars, because the common people don't know. It is the responsibility of those who know to teach them. <coughs> also, It may be noted here the fact that since Ibrahim salam declared himself free from whatever is worship, whatever was being worshipped by his people except the one who created him, he declared his innocence and disassociation from them while they were worshipping Allah but worshipping something along with Allah. Then what about, what is the responsibility of the Muslim towards those who are not even worshipping Allah along with something else but they are not worshipping Allah at all? then what should be our position towards them? And if those who are worshipping Allah, but associating something along with Him, are to be rejected, what about those who don't worship at Allah at all? The atheists, materialists, kuffar, pagans, who don't worship anything, who don't worship Allah at all, then our position towards them is even more severe. The last point that he mentions from this ayat is that, Hidayat al-Tawfiq, that in this verse we understand that there is a guidance, Hidayat al-Tawfiq, the guidance that guarantees a person to reach the destination to be successful. And this is something that is especially for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is mentioned in the verse where he said, فَإِنَّهُ سَيَهَدِينَ That verily he, Allah, he is the one who will guide me, who will give me Hidayah, who will make me successful. The relation between this verse and the chapter heading is that this verse points to or indicates that the tawheed of any individual that it is not correct and there is no benefit from it if that, if, unless and until that person declares themselves to be free of the worship of everything other than Allah yani if a person worships Allah alone without declaring their bara'a their innocence and being free and rejection of the worship of anything other than Allah then there is no benefit in just worshipping Allah alone. But it is required that a Muslim should declare their innocence from everything that is worshipped other than Allah and their rejection of whatever is worshipped besides Allah as did Ibrahim salam. He said, I reject everything that's worshipped besides Allah. He was worshipping Allah alone but it wasn't sufficient until he also made known his rejection, his repudiation and the falsehood of whatever is worshipped besides Allah. Yani, a person has to have purity of worship for Allah alone and in addition to that they also have to reject everything besides Allah. Here, Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah mentioned that uh, in his shop that people may be divided into three groups concerning this worship and he said the first of them are those who worship Allah alone and these are the people of Tawheed those who worship Allah alone. The second of them are those who worship Allah and also worship something along with Allah and these are the people of shirk, major shirk and the third of them, the worst of them are those who worship other than Allah yani they don't even worship Allah they just worship something other than Allah and they are worse than the mushrik who worship Allah and something along with him uh, the next evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah mentions the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> from Surah Tawbah Surah Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 31. 
in reference to the Ahl Kitab, the Christians and Jews, اتخذوا أهبارهم ورهبانهم أرباب من دون الله that they used to take or they used to make their أهبار their علماء their scholars and their رهبان عباد those who were known to be worshippers who were performing great worship or as some of the scholars said أهبار and رهبان both of them are a type of scholars from amongst the Ahl Kitab they take them as أرباباً as lords, as a rub min dunillah besides Allah they make them as lords besides Allah giving them worship something that is the right of Allah alone and that worship of course wasn't that they used to pray to them but it was that they used to obey them in accepting that which they declared to be lawful while Allah declared it to be unlawful or they declared it to be unlawful while Allah declared it to be lawful it is shirk at ta'a obedience obedience to other than Allah in disobedience to Allah this is shirk shirk at ta'a and this type of shirk is a major shirk and it is one of the most dangerous of shirk and we find it today even in the Muslim land that there are those who obey their leaders their shaykh or the, who they consider to be the wali of Allah whatever indifferent to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated and the shaykh told them that this thing is lawful even though Allah made it unlawful and they accept it and I have met some of these people myself uh, who say that the shaykh said it's lawful and he knows better than everyone Sufis are the, probably the most common of them but not only Sufis also the Shia they are taking the law from their leaders and their scholars even though it is in contradiction to the law of Allah the clear text of Quran or authentic Sunnah so he said they were taking the Ahl Kitab they were taking the Ahbar and the Ruhban as lords besides Allah Masih ibn Maryam and likewise also the Christians they took Al Masih the Messiah the son of Maryam that is Isa السلام, they also made him as a lord besides Allah and they declared him as being a god besides Allah not only in legislation and the matters of sharia but also they made him as a god besides Allah declaring him some of them declaring him to be Allah himself and some of them declaring him to be the son of Allah and some of them declaring him to be one of the three gods and one in the, or in the trinity and then uh, in the original text Shaykh Muhammad al-Wahhab doesn't mention the remainder of this ayah but the remainder of the ayah also is useful in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ سُبْحَانَهُ أَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ That they did this taking their monks and their scholars, their priests or whatever and taking Isa السلام, as lords besides Allah while they have not been commanded they have not been commanded except to worship one God إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا they have not been commanded. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't send any prophet or messenger to them commanding them to worship anything except him. They were doing this even though they have not been commanded to do it. But they were commanded only to worship one God. That is the one who created Isa and the one who created the Ahbar and the Ruhban, the scholars and the monks who they were accepting as legislators besides Allah. La ilaha illa huwa. This is the statement of Tawheed that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Him, the one God that is Nafi and Ithbat, negation and affirmation. Subhanahu, 
amma yushrikun. And this tasbih, it is tanzih or taqdis, it is the declaration, subhanallah, it is the declaration that Allah is absolutely and totally free of any imperfection or shortcoming and whatever they have ascribed to him falsely. Subhanahu amma yushrikun, he is free and high and far above whatever they have associated with him, whether something that they declare to be equal to him or similar to him or uh, in any way yani, compared to him. Here the Shaykh Al-Qur'awi in his Sharh he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us in this verse that the Jews and the Christians that they deviated from the straight path. They deviated from the straight path that the prophets who were sent to them called them to. They deviated from that uh, and they began to do that which they had not been commanded to do which had not been legislated for them and they took their scholars and their religious people as gods for them worshipping them instead of Allah and this worship it was in obeying them in making lawful what Allah has made haram or in making haram what Allah has made lawful so they have made them as associates along with Allah in at-tashri'ah in sharia, in legislation, giving them the right to legislate and the right to legislate it only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Christians went further than the Jews they, it wasn't sufficient that they just took them as legislators along with Allah but they even went so far as to worship the Prophet who was sent to them Isa salam, <coughs> and they considered him as the son of Allah or other than that as Allah himself and so on <coughs> and they have not been commanded in the Torah, knowing the Injil, the Gospel, except to worship Allah alone, Allah is far removed and high above whatever they have attributed to Him, that is, whatever the Mushrikeen, the pagans have attributed to Him. Here the Shaykh mentions six points or fawaid or benefits from this verse. The first of them is that obedience of other than Allah in that which is in contradiction to the rulings of Allah, that this is a shirk billah, yani obedience of anyone other than Allah in that which is in contradiction or in conflict with the law of Allah, it is shirk. This is shirk at ta'a, shirk in ta'a, in obedience. It is major shirk. Number two, yani there also some of the scholars discuss this obedience and perhaps there is some need for further detail which we don't have the time for now but suffice it to say that <coughs> if anyone follows the laws that have been legislated by men instead of the law of Allah, and they are classified into different categories. Some of it is kufr, some of it is fisk, disobedience, and some of it is zulm, wrongdoing. Not all of it is kufr, and it depends on the condition of the person, whether they believe that that law is equal to the law of Allah, or better than the law of Allah, or less than the law of Allah, but they are following it for some other reason, and so on. This is a lengthy discussion, uh, but suffice it to say that not every yani, following of a law other than the law of Allah is considered as kufr, but some of it may be less than that, depending on the condition and circumstances. The second point is that there is no obedience to anything in the creation or of the creatures in disobedience to Allah. And this is the wording of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ لا للمخلوق في معصية الله أو في معصية الخالق That there is no obedience. It is not right to obey any one of the creatures, whoever they may be, whether they are the leader, uh, the sheikh, the ruler, whatever. There is no obedience to any created being if it is in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, <clears throat> that no deed is considered as a righteous deed al-amal as-salih except that it meets two conditions al-ikhlas doing it purely for Allah alone and al-mutaba'ah 
that it is in strict adherence or following of the Prophet Number four, the fact that the ulama or the scholars are not infallible. Yani the ulama of the Christians and Jews, they were not infallible. And the fact that they erred is what led their people astray. And we should also take this as a lesson that the ulama are not infallible. But we respect and honor the scholars because of their honor, because of their knowledge and their character and what we know of them. At the same time, they are not infallible. And we cannot take the ruling of any scholar if it is clearly in contradiction to the law of Allah, to the Sharia, to the Quran, or to the Sunnah. Especially when we know that other scholars have rejected an opinion, for example, and proven it to be wrong. We cannot just follow blindly because they are scholars, as did the Ahl Kitab, and it led them astray and off the path completely. Number five, the clarification of the deviation of the, of the Jews and the Christians from their correct deen that they were on originally when the prophets came to them. And number six, the danger of the misguided scholars. The danger of the misguided scholars upon the Muslim ummah. And either those who are misguided and the ulama of two types. Those who are truly trying to call the people to the correct way and those who are misleaders and those misleading scholars, they are indeed dangerous as seen in the history of the Ahl Kitab. The relationship between this verse and the chapter heading is that this verse or shows, shows the meaning of Tawheed and the meaning of the testimony of La ilaha illallah that it requires the person to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone for obedience at ta'a yani that this verse shows us that in the meaning of Tawheed and the shahada of La ilaha illallah is the fact that a person is required to single out Allah alone for obedience. Obedience belongs to Allah alone and no one or nothing can be obeyed in disobedience to Allah. And likewise, singling out the Messenger of Allah وسلم, to be followed. That He alone is the one who we follow in obedience to Allah. In, ex- in implementing that which Allah has commanded us to do, we can only follow one example that is the Prophet Muhammad وسلم. In obeying the Prophet, then we have indeed obeyed Allah as Allah says in the Quran. That whoever has obeyed, the Prophet, he has obeyed Allah. Uh, also, uh, in this verse, what might be even more clear, its relationship to this chapter is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, though it's not mentioned by the uh, author here, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has rejected and blamed the Christians and Jews for taking their scholars and their monks and their priests, taking them as lords, Besides Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has criticized them and this is because, they, because it is a defect in the Tawheed which requires of us to take the law and to obey only, uh, to take the law from and to obey only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have ordered them to do whether it is in agreement with Allah's law or even if it is in disagreement with Allah's law. Yani they followed what they scholars told them to do, not only if it's in agreement with the law of Allah, but even if it's in contradiction to the law of Allah, they still followed it. And the Prophet said, yani, that verily a ta'a, obedience to those in authority. And, and the Prophet emphasized, and Allah requires the verse in the Quran to obey those in authority, but obedience of those in authority, the rulers, and as well as the scholars, obedience to them, it is required of us as long as it is in that which is good, but not in disobedience to Allah, إِنَّمَا أَتَعَفِ الْمَعْرُوفِ That obedience is required as long as what they have ordered us to do is that which is good. This hadith reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim.
the, the last verse that the author mentions here is from Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 165. The saying of Allah Taala, That from amongst the people, there are some who take others besides Allah as andad, as mid, as something equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have taken others other than Allah and made them as an equal, comparing them to Allah or making them equal to Allah. And they love them like the love of Allah. They love them in the same way that they love Allah, equal to the love of Allah. Uh, and this is another type of shirk, shirk and mahabba. This is also a major type of shirk and one of the most dangerous types of shirk, shirk and mahabba, that anyone should give the love that belongs to Allah alone, the pure love that belongs to Allah alone, to other than Allah, making the love of something or someone equal to the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, he said, Ma'am, this is the end of the verse, I mean the end of the quotation from the original book, and the verse goes on to say, that not only they take others as equals with Allah, meaning that they give them the love that belongs to Allah alone, they give them equal love, yani it is association or shirk in love, and this love is ibadah, and it is a negation of the rububiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who alone deserves to be loved. They said, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا بِاللَّهِ but those who believe their love is greater and stronger, their love for Allah is greater and stronger. Yani stronger than the love of the pagans for Allah, or stronger than the love of the pagans for those who they have set up to love along with Allah. The love of the believers is stronger. وَلَوْ يَرَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا إِذْ يَرَوْا الْعَذَابِ أَنَّ الْقُوَّةَ لِلَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعَذَابِ and if they, those who wrong themselves, yani who made shirk in this world, associated something with Allah alone here, referring to those who took uh, others to love them as they love Allah, if they saw the punishment, yani at the time when the punishment will be brought to them on Yom Qiyamah, at the time when they saw that punishment, they will wish that they didn't make shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At that time they will see, that the power belongs to Allah, all of it, it belongs to Allah alone. No one else has power except Allah. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعَذَابِ And that Allah is severe and punishing. And here again is one of the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah is the one who is qawi, the strong. And the power, all of it, is belong, it belongs to Allah alone. Uh, here, the explainer, Al-Qara'awi, Shaykh Al-Qara'awi, Hafizahullah says that in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that some of the people have set up idols and they love them with the love similar to the love of Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear that the love of the believers is stronger than the love of the pagan mushrikeen. And that is because the believer, his love of Allah is pure love, it's for Allah alone. And the mushrikeen, their love is divided between love for Allah and love for those who they love along with Allah. So that the love of the believer is stronger since it is pure. And whoever's love was purely for Allah alone, then his love would be stronger than the one who shares his love with other than Allah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned them, that is the mushrikeen, the pagans, and made clear to them 
that at the time when they will be made to see the punishment that is on Yawm Qiyamah, in that condition they will have wished and hoped that they had not made any shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, not in love nor in anything else. At that time they will know with certain knowledge that all of the power, al-quwwah, all of it is for Allah alone and that Allah is severe in punishing. Before the, mentioning the points of benefit here, Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, rahmatan wasiyah, he said in his sharh of this book that the people are divided into four divisions concerning the love of Allah. The first of them are those who love Allah more than anything else. Those who love Allah more than anything else. Even though they may love their parents, they may love their children, the natural love, the love for one's wife or whatever, or love even for food or drink or whatever in this world is lawful, even though they may have love for something other than Allah, in the, in the way that is lawful to love something other than Allah, but their love for Allah is greater. And these are the believers. The first group are those who love Allah more than anything else. The second group are those who love Allah, but they also love something other than Allah equally. And these are mushrikeen. They are mushriks. The third of them are those who love other than Allah, more than they love Allah. Yani not only they love something other than Allah, but that which they love other than Allah, they love it more than they love Allah. And perhaps we may find such people even in the Muslim land who love their so-called saints, the awliya of Allah. They love them more than Allah. And they have trust and hope in them more than Allah. And if they have any need, they go to their grave and call on them instead of calling on Allah. If they have any sickness and they want to be cured from it, they make a sacrifice to them rather than making it to Allah. Those people, they might love Allah to some extent, but their actions show that they love something other than Allah more than they love Allah. And they are worse than those who love Allah equally with something else. And the fourth group are the worst of all. They are those who don't love Allah at all, but they love something other than Allah. And these are indeed the materialists, atheists who don't believe in any supreme being and don't believe that their creator has a right over them they don't believe in a creator and they only love material and they go after wealth and they love the dunya completely without any love of Allah these are the four groups of people those who love Allah the most the believers those who love something along with Allah equally those who love something other than Allah more than Allah and those who don't love Allah at all here uh, Mr. Sheikh mentions a number of points derived from this verse, the first of them is that uh, al-mahabba or love, it is a type of worship, it is a type of ibadah. Al-mahabba is a type of ibadah. And here in this chapter we mention this love as a type of shirk, loving something other than Allah, and likewise al-ta'a, obeying something in contradiction to Allah, and a dua supplicating in the first verse, supplicating other than Allah as those who used to call on the jinn instead of calling on Allah. Uh, and whoever calls on anything, not only the jinn, whether they are prophets or angels or otherwise. These are three of the major types of shirk. Shirk in love, mahabba, and shirk in ta'a, obedience, and shirk in dua, supplication. And likewise, the fourth major category of shirk which is not mentioned here is shirk and niyyah. Yani that a person, which we discussed previously, that they do something with the intention of sharing it. Yani doing something perhaps for Allah and also doing it to be seen by others. For some other benefit or for praise or whatever from others. This is shirk and niyyah. So here he says that al-mahabba is one of the types of ibadah. The second, he said that here in this verse is confirmation that the pagans, that they used to love Allah. That they in fact did love Allah. However, 
it didn't benefit them in any way due to the fact that they also loved something along with Allah, equal to Allah. Their shirk nullified the benefit of their love of Allah. And they loved Allah. But he said that they used to take something as andad, as a nid, equal to Allah. يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ So they used to love Allah and they used to love those things also. Their love of Allah was nullified and there was no benefit due to their shirk. And this is the condition of the Muslims today who are worshipping something other than Allah, whether in mahabba or in ta'a and anything else. Whatever they are doing otherwise, it is useless, it is nullified by their shirk and Allah doesn't accept it. Uh, then he says, number three, the negation of a person's iman. Because the person has worshipped something along with Allah, in this case, al-mahabba. And fourth, he says, confirmation of the characteristic of al-quwa, sifat al-quwa, that the power and the might it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and his might, his quwa is perfect. The relationship between this verse and the chapter heading, he says, is that this verse indicates the meaning of a tawheed and the meaning of the shahada of la ilaha illallah, that its meaning is to single out Allah alone with the pure and original love that is the right of Allah alone. And this one, this love requires that the person, that if they really love Allah truly, that they will make all ibadah purely for Allah alone. And he, all ibadah they will give it to Allah. If they really love Allah with the true love that belongs to Him, then they will not worship anything along with, along with Him. The last evidence that the Imam mentions, rahimahullah, is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, And here, the Sahih he is referring to, it is reported in the Sahih of Muslim. That the Prophet ﷺ said, Man qala, Whoever said, Whoever pronounced these words, من قال لا إله إلا الله That there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah وَكَفَرَ بِمَا يُعْبَدْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ And they make kufr or rejection of whatever is worshipped besides Allah حَرُمَ مَالُهُ وَدَمُهُ Then his wealth and his life, his blood will become sacred and protected وَحِسَابُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ And his account will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani whoever pronounces the shahada of La ilaha illallah and then rejects and declares the kufr and rejection of whatever is worshipped besides Allah, in this world, their life and their property will be protected. And in the next life, their account will be with Allah. Yani their life is protected and their property is protected, we consider them as a Muslim. We don't know what's in anybody's heart. They will be classified as a Muslim based on the fact that they said La ilaha illallah. But as for the reality of their statement, that's with Allah on Yawm Qiyamah. Allah. Then Allah, He will be the one to judge the truthfulness of their statement. And if they are true in their statement, they will be rewarded for it. And if they are false, lying in their statement, then they will be punished. But in this world, their life is protected and their property is protected by the statement of La ilaha illallah. And the statement of La ilaha illallah, it should be included with the conditions of La ilaha illallah. And of the most important of them is knowing the meaning of La ilaha illallah, as well as having certainty in professing it. And likewise, equally important is practicing that which is required of that statement of La ilaha illallah. So whoever says La ilaha illallah, 
and then declares the kufr of whatever is worshipped besides Allah, they will be protected, their life and their property, and their account will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, here, the author, Shaykh Ra'awi, says the meaning of this hadith is that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu has informed us in it that whoever testifies to the fact that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah, and then they reject in their heart as well as on their tongue. In their heart as well as on their tongue, they reject whatever is worshipped besides Allah. Then that person, he will be protected. Yani he will be protected from any harm from the Muslims. They will not take his wealth except what is taken legally by the Sharia, such as a zakat. And they will not touch his life or his blood will be protected except that which is required by the Sharia, such as the person, the married person who commits zina, who may be stoned to death, or the person who abandons Islam after Iman, who makes apostasy, and so on. Or the person who is punished by the qisar, because they have killed someone, and then their life is also taken justly. Otherwise, that person is protected from the Muslims, both their wealth and their life, except that which is required, or in accordance with the Sharia, and his account the secret of his real intention or that which is in his heart is not investigated. It is left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for yawm qiyamah. If he was truthful, he will be rewarded. And if he was untruthful, then uh, he will be punished. The benefits from this uh, hadith, the shaykh mentioned six. The first of them is the uh, nobility of Islam in that a person, whenever they become convinced and accept Islam as the truth, they will be protected, their wealth as well as their life. Number two, the obligation of holding one's hand from the kafir, the disbeliever, once that person has entered Islam, even if it happened during the battle, until and unless it became known that they were not truthful in that statement. Otherwise, once a person says, La ilaha illallah, they are protected and a Muslim should hold back from them. Number three, uh, it is possible that a person may say La ilaha illallah while not rejecting that which is worshipped besides Allah. Yani a person may say La ilaha illallah, but they may not reject or speak out against uh, that the worship of other than Allah. As we see many of the Muslims today, maybe they are not worshipping anything other than Allah. They say La ilaha illallah, but they see other people worshipping other than Allah and they have nothing to say. Number four, that the conditions of Al-Iman is that a person has to pronounce the words of La ilaha illallah and likewise they have to reject or declare the kufr of everything that is worshipped besides Allah. And this also includes the kufr of all of the kafirs and their system or way of life. That a Muslim, it's not sufficient to say that Islam is the truth but a Muslim also must admit and confess that the disbelief of the disbelievers is in fact kufr that Christianity is kufr, that Judaism is kufr, that Hinduism and Buddhism is kufr, and that materialism is kufr, believing in material instead of Allah, that uh, the philosophies of the materialist, capitalism or socialism or all of this is the rejection of the deen of Allah, and a Muslim should be ready to declare such, and to reject it, and not to compromise with it, saying that people have different theories and different philosophies and all of it is okay. Only Islam is accepted by Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, and whoever desires anything other than Islam, 
will never be accepted from him. It will never be accepted from him. Allah will never accept it and a Muslim is required to declare such. Yani, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab in his book, Nawakhir al-Islam, he said that whoever doesn't declare the kufr of the disbelievers, then this is also kufr. That person is in a state of kufr by refusing to declare the kufr of the kafirs. That is clear. Uh, the last point he says is that that our ruling or judgment of people in this world is based on that which they show. And if they claim to be a Muslim and they say, La ilaha Allah, we judge them accordingly. We cannot judge what's in anyone's heart. And the last point is that it is prohibited to take the wealth of a Muslim except that which the Sharia allows, such as zakat and so on. Or if they have destroyed someone's property, then their property may be taken in exchange for it. Inshallah, we'll stop here. Uh, for the adhan and then uh, just look at the questions that are remaining. First, the sister sent some questions, uh, but before that maybe I should try to just complete the notes here. Um, the Shaykh mentioned the relationship between this hadith and the meaning of Tawheed and the Tafsir, or explanation of Shahada and La ilaha illallah. That a person's Tawheed and their testimony of La ilaha illallah is not completed or perfected except that they declare the kufr of everything that is worshipped besides Allah. And if this is sufficient, there's a note at the end, inshallah, you may read it from the book. Uh, just quickly, the question of the sisters, the first of them is, please correct the first ayat on the handout and in the book, the Shah Kitab Tawheed. Instead of Surah Al-Hadid 57-17, it should be Surah Al-Isra 17-57. Please correct both, the handout and the Shah Kitab Tawheed. Now, the first verse, it should be 17, chapter 17, verse 57, Surah Al-Isra. But it is written opposite, 5717. You have a question? Uh, can I just look at... Uh, okay, go ahead. Ask. No. reject or declare uh, the worship of others than Allah is being wrong. Uh, whether they are from whatever group, Sufi or Shia or otherwise, it means that those people, their Tawheed is not accepted and their testimony is not accepted without the rejection of whatever is worshipped besides Allah. They are not of the people of Tawheed. And it means that they are not guaranteed the protection of their wealth, property and lives. But it doesn't mean that anyone now may freely take their life or their wealth without cause or reason. It means that they are not protected as the other kuffar and mushrikun are not protected in their wealth and their property. But it doesn't mean that any Muslim has the right to take their life or take their property without cause or justification. 
It only means that they are not guaranteed protection from the Muslims. They are not protected by the Muslims. But it doesn't mean that they are open, free for anyone to take and do with them as they please. So I hope we clarify. Also the sisters have a question, Assalamu alaikum, although it's time, it's true that we should be, it's, we should be harsh against the disbelievers and the worship of other than Allah. Should we refer to a Muslim, non-Muslim parent saying, your kafir father, your kafir mother, during a dispute or in other discussions? What advice can we give a Muslim who does this? May Allah reward you. Naam. Being harsh against the disbelievers, especially in their worship of other than Allah, it is required of a Muslim to take a strong stand, a firm stand against kufr and the people of kufr and shirk. But it doesn't mean that all castes are classified in one class. There is a difference between the disbelievers who fight against Islam and fight against the Muslims and those who live at peace with, with the Muslims and those who uh, live under or reside under the custody and care and protection of the Muslims. So that those who fight you because of your deen are treated differently than those who don't fight against you because of your deen. And in reference, that's in general. And then in reference to parents, of course, uh, the referring to them by such names is not, there's no benefit in it. And in fact, a Muslim should use such titles if there is some benefit in it. In general, we shouldn't refer to any kafir, ya kafir, just for the sake of using such a title. But there should be some benefit in it. And in fact, maybe more harm is caused than benefit by using such titles. And in that case, the Muslims should always consider what is the benefit and what is the harm of our action, or our behavior, our speech, and our interaction with other people. And if there is no benefit in it, then we shouldn't do it. And if there is harm in it, then that's even worse than the fact that there is no benefit. There is even harm, that's further. Then for sure we should restrain ourselves from such and we should also be considerate. The, the believers, they are kind and compassionate with other believers. The, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Muhammadur Rasulullah, وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ أَشِدَّا عَلَى الْكُفَارِ رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ They are ashidda, shadeed, with the kuffar, but they are kind and compassionate amongst themselves with the believers. So no believer should say to another believer, your kafir mother, that hurts the believer's feelings, even if it is true. And we shouldn't hurt the believer's feelings, but we should try to be careful of what we say and what we do. And whatever we do, it should be that which is pleasing to Allah. We should say it for the pleasure of Allah and be careful not to hurt the feelings of other believers. Uh, because we haven't finished this chapter, the Masail at the end of the chapter from Shaykh Al-Uthaymeen, uh, we need to cover them because they are really, really important. And likewise, there is some uh, summary of this chapter by Shaykh Abdurrahman, uh, Sa'adi, which I wanted to read today. So perhaps in the next lecture, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will start with that before going into the following chapter, insha'Allah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. And likewise...